Well, I'm glad to have you here today. And I just want to uh, let you know that uh, this week we've got some more events for our kids that you can be praying for. Also, before I do that, let me just say, if you see me up here wringing my hands, um, it's not, I I believe in what I'm going to be teaching today, but uh, I had another outbreak of poison ivy on my hands. So if you see me wringing, um, it's not near as emotional as you think. It's strictly a physical reaction. So uh, Anyway, just so you know that, and also just know that it's not contagious. So if you think I shake your hand and now you're infected, you're not. Don't worry about that. Um, But this week, our younger kids, elementary age kids, will be headed to journey camp. They're going to be there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So it's going to be a great camp, a great time for them. Be praying for them and and for our leaders. Uh, Deidre is going, and so is Kurt. And so uh, pray that the boys will survive. And I know they're going to have a great time with Kurt. Kurt has been the last... uh, He's been there with them before, and so they'll, they'll do a great job in leading, but be praying for them while they're gone and while they're away. Uh, this morning, we're going to finish up our Elephant in the Room series, and to be honest, I really expected a little bit of a smaller group this morning. Um, I'm glad that you guys are here. You don't have to leave uh, now that I've said that, but um, I'm glad you're here for this. So far, over these last nine, ten weeks... We've been talking about what are the big issues that are happening in the world around us that the church is either silent on or that we just can't come to agreement. Uh, and so we've talked about lots of different uh, issues, and, and some of you have come up and said, you know, I really needed that, and, and some of you are, are struggling with some of these issues. Others of you are, are very active in helping people that are dealing with things like depression, dealing uh, with the problems of same-sex attraction and, and some of the identity issues that go on with that. We've talked about abortion. We've talked about Islam. We've talked about things that we typically at Journey don't talk about. We, we often stay away from some of those more controversial topics because we know we have a mixed group of people in the room, and our focus here is to lead you to know Christ and to be more like Him. However, it is crucial that we know how to respond when the world is trying to tell us the way we're supposed to live. Because as we've sung this morning, there's really only one worthy of worship. There's really only one person that we follow, and all of our actions, all of our beliefs should follow within that vein of what does Jesus want for and from me. So this morning, what I want to close out with is a topic on the church. What is the church? What does it look like to be the church? And I want you to know I've grown up in the church. Many of you have grown up in the church. And, uh, and so you have very specific ideas of what the church is supposed to be. And I came up through kind of this glory years of the church back in the 80s where if you would open the door and you would hold a service, tons of people would come. I mean, churches were just thriving through the 80s. It didn't, you didn't have to do a whole lot. Throughout that time between the 80s and 90s, churches became event centers where we had all kinds of events and people would come in. And the goal of the church was to grow it as large as possible. And as we've looked around over the last few years, over the last decade, and honestly, over the last maybe five years, we've seen a shift in what it looks like to be the church in the world. And some of those things that we focused on and we believed were so crucial to be the church in the past, they're not bearing out to be healthy signs of what a faith community is really supposed to be. So if I were to ask you this morning, and some of you are already, you're already headed to your nap, so I want you to hang with me because this really is an important topic. 
If I were to ask you what does it look like to be a healthy church, that we'd have all kinds of different answers. And some people would say there would be lots of people in a healthy church. There would be lots of baptisms in a healthy church. Maybe there would be big facilities in a healthy church. Or maybe there were lots of staff people in a healthy church, depending on your background. One of the things we often hear in that in a healthy church, there's a program for everybody. There's an activity for everybody. And I want you to know there are some very healthy churches that can answer all these questions one way or the other. What I want to talk to you about today, because this concerns us as a church, is what does it look like to truly be a healthy church where we live right now? Now, keep in mind that whenever we look over the span of the church, I'm not a proponent of one style or one type of church or another. We've got churches that look like journey. We have churches that are very traditional, that are very healthy and making differences not only in the kingdom, but in the lives of the people that are a part of that church. We have some very large churches that are doing wonderful things in the world and they are spreading the gospel in ways that we would love to be a part of. And then we have some large churches that are just not the church. Sometimes it's easy when you're a part of a small church like journey, because a lot of people just want to be a part of a small church It's sometimes easy to think, well, big churches are bad churches. And the reality is, is just because a church is big does not make it good or bad. Just because a church is small does not make it good or bad. There are some people who worship in house churches. And this morning, there are house churches all over the world. There are movements of the gospel moving around the world today simply with groups of people meeting in homes together to worship and to study and to encourage one another. There's no one type of church. Yet, I want you to know there's only one church in the world. The way it's expressed is expressed in many different ways. And my hope for us as a church is not that we would express ourselves in the one right way to do church, because that is not really what the church is. But instead, we would be focused on what does it mean to be a healthy community before Christ. The reason I think this is an elephant in the room is because the church is in decline all over our nation. In the time that Journey has existed, we've had dozens and dozens of churches in Chattanooga close their doors, sell their property, and get rid of their assets. We've seen churches that through decades and decades and decades, they were vibrant and healthy, making a difference in their community, and they were reaching people. We've seen them dwindle and die you go into Lifeway or go onto Amazon or wherever your favorite bookseller is, you'll find a number of books. If you're a junkie on church leadership and organization, kind of like I am, then you'll find any number of books that will diagnose and give you a solution for all the problems that ail the church. The reality is all those books are well, have good and well intentions, but that's not really what the church is. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what the church is and the reason I believe it's an elephant in the room. And this is a little different because you probably aren't thinking about this when you're not here. These probably aren't the topics that are on your mind that you're sitting around at work pondering. But these issues are so crucial and important because the church has a very specific role in the world. And one of the things that we're struggling with right now is looking around at all of the changes happening in culture, and we have a response for that. And we have very vocal people with responses for what's happening politically and in our culture. But 
The real issue, I believe, is the problem with our nation is not our leaders. The problem with our nation many times is our churches. Because God put us here for a specific reason. And one of those reasons was to be salt and light in a place that did not believe that Jesus was his Savior. And so if we are not fulfilling that role and position, we are not fulfilling the place for the church in the world. For decades, the church has been focused on growing large. And we've had those conversations here and as leadership and, and how large should the church be or how many churches should one church have? Should you go to different locations? We've had all kinds of conversations like that around here. But for the longest time, the church has been focused on getting large. And the way that you get a church large is you provide a sufficient bait. Our journey is not necessarily immune to the use of bait. We use bait all the time. We didn't intend to today, but Tracy brought us some cupcakes. That was a sufficient bait. And if we had put that on social media, then we might be standing room only this morning, right? We put sufficient bait out there. If your facility is nice enough, I remember growing up in a mega church, and I remember thinking this church is nicer than my home. And I enjoyed going. And I found that many people would often want to hang out at the church because many of our houses of worship are nicer than our homes are. Now, some of you would love to have this room as your media room in your basement, and I would as well. But a lot of folks have looked for a facility. When Deidre and I, the last time Deidre and I looked for a church was 18 years ago. The last time Deidre and I searched for a church to be a part of was 18 years ago. We were in seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and we were going around looking for a church to be a part of. And we looked, like many of you did, looking for a church. We wanted to go see what the feel was. We wanted to go see what kind of groups were there. Was there anybody there that looked like us that we could hang out with? What was the pastor like? Was he boring or was he exciting or was he good or bad? Did he use the Bible or not? You know, so we had all those indications. At that time, worship was really becoming a hot button topic. And so we looked for a specific worship style that we thought reached out to us. All of the things that many people do today. And often what we were looking for is, does this church give us what we want? And the reality is, is that's not a terrible way to look for a church. However, it may ignore the bigger picture of what the church is if that's the way we judge a church by its cover. What we began to tell people when we started a journey was simply this. We wanted to create a place where people would come that were resistant to the gospel that would judge the other churches in town by the way they looked. Judging a book by its cover. We knew that we weren't teaching a new gospel. We weren't necessarily radically different people, but we knew we could do things differently to get the attention of those that typically wouldn't go to a church because they judged the book by its cover. And the reality is even believers often do that, judge a book by its cover. It's one of the marks of a disciple who was maturing in their faith to be able to look past the cover into the substance and see what is really happening here i have a specific worship style i love i love what we do here 
I love when we really crank it up and I hear see people putting fingers in their ears. I want you to know I'm, I'm just getting started when people start putting their fingers in their ears. Others are like, we got to get out of here. That's why we have earplugs out there and I, apparently we're out, so we'll get some more. <laughs> but I've also been in very traditional settings where there have been very traditional music that speaks to me in a very profound way. Followers of Jesus look beyond what is the cover of the book to see what is the substance there. And what we're finding in the church is when we focus on just getting as many people in the door as possible, what it ends up doing is growing a short-term organization, but long-term hurting the kingdom. And so the elephant in the room is, what does it look like to be a church in a place where church is in decline? What does it look like to be the church in a nation where the nation wants the church to disappear? What does it look like to be a church in a time when people still need Jesus? And as the church begins to diminish, their access to the gospel diminishes with it. What does it look like to be the church? What does it look like to be a healthy church? I want you to know it's very easy for a pastor of a small church to judge large churches. But I'll let you know right off the bat, some of my best friends pastor very large churches. And I would love the opportunity to try that one time, right? Wouldn't you like to do that in your job? I'd really like to run things around here for a while. And then you get a chance to do it. And you're like, this was the biggest mistake of my life. So I have to let you know that what I'm going to be talking with you about often is going to fly in the face of, of trying to be a big church. However, I still struggle with what does it look like to be a healthy church? Doesn't it look like it should be bigger? I'll mention that in just a few minutes. Many of our people who come into churches today, they'll pass through the doors of the church looking for their perceived needs to be met. Some of you are here today for that very reason. Some of your perceived needs may be you just need a shot in the arm this week. Some of my friends, they, they view church based on the thing that gets me through the week. I want you to know I love what we do here, but it's not good enough to get you through your week. We often try to add programs throughout the week to get our fix as we go through because much of what we try to do in the church is often emotional. It tries to reach a deeper need that goes into the heart, and yet sometimes what that does is it makes us reliant on a program rather than reliant on a Savior. And so it's just crucial that we understand what it looks like to be the church. The elephant in the room for us today is that not everyone that attends a church knows Jesus or will go to heaven. And it's important that we recognize that. Even when Jesus walked the earth, those that followed him, not all believed in him. And not everyone who comes and serves and gives and attends every weekend actually knows Jesus. And that's one of the most important reasons that we must be a healthy church. Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, this is, this is a passage of Scripture since I was a child that has just, every time I read it, it makes my heart quicken. I read that and I think, is that me? 
Am I the one that's going to stand before Jesus one day and say, Jesus? And he's going to say, I don't know who you are. And sometimes I look at others and I, I, I evaluate the, the messages we teach and the music we do and the programs we do here based on the reality that there are some that will come believing they are in the kingdom and yet not knowing really who Jesus is. So I believe the church has two primary purposes. I've mentioned this in the past. One is to share the gospel with those that don't know it. And number two is to let those who have heard the gospel believe they've accepted it but haven't. Let them know the truth as well. Second is a really touchy, tricky one. It's where we often get in the problem of being judgmental of others. And as we've talked, it is not our place to judge those who do not know Christ. But it is our place to hold accountable those who say they do. So as we go through this, I want us to understand there are really two different groups of people that I want to address in this. And number one are those who are true disciples of Jesus. But the second group are those that attend church but really have no interest in him. Because there are many things that you can experience here. Whenever I look through the difference between disciples and churchgoers, disciples are in and churchgoers are trying to fit it in. To the rest of their life. Disciples see Jesus as the thing that overarches everything. And churchgoers see it as just a piece that they add in with the rest of their lives. The truth is, is you can build a large church with people that don't know Christ. But you can't build a healthy one. It's funny, some of my friends, when we get together, we talk about church things that would bore you to tears. My brother-in-law is a pastor, and so we get together at family events, and we start talking church, and everybody else glosses over and leaves us by ourselves because no one else is interested in that conversation. But we joke about what does it mean to be a pastor, and sometimes we, sometimes we feel like we're this pastor on the screen. there's a lot of passive aggressiveness in pastors that uh comes out in weird ways sometimes we can't just be aggressive is the truth 
Well, certainly there's all kinds of different people that are a part of the church. And I, I want to I suggest that in every healthy church, there are going to be three different groups of people. Now, you can break these three different groups of people up into lots of little subgroups, but there are three primary groups of people that are part of the church today. And you likely fall into one of these three groups. The first one is simply this, those who are curious. It's those who are curious about what the gospel is. They're, they're curious about who Jesus is. They recognize something is missing. They don't really know what it is. They're not sure they're in, but they know they need something. And this group has been primarily on the radar of journey from the very beginning of the idea of journey was that there are people who are curious that don't feel safe or welcome in churches because curious people don't always fit in the way we think they should. They don't always dress the right way, talk the right way, act the right way. They don't come in and volunteer. They don't come in and give. They don't come in and serve. They just, they're curious. Every church should have this curious group. And this in and of itself distinguishes us from a lot of different churches around because there are many that believe the church is only for those who are Christians. But if that were the case, then Jesus would only have spent time with the disciples. And he would not have sought out those that did not know him. So the first group of people that every healthy church should have is a group of people that are curious. They're not going to contribute necessarily. Sometimes they do. They're not really going to be regular attenders, but they are just curious about the gospel. Every healthy church has to have it because if a church doesn't have curious people, the church is not demonstrating what it means to know Jesus. Those curious people come from all kinds of different places, but most of them come because they know someone that is already here. Not because we do a flyer, not because we put an ad on Facebook, not because we have a website. The average curious person comes because they know somebody that's already here. So the way that you live your life outside of here matters. Second group of people are those who are new believers. In every healthy church, there are going to be young believers who are not really sure what they're supposed to be doing. They are generally excited, but they don't really know what their role is to play. They haven't figured out all the right things to say or do. But they're excited about their faith. They have truly given their hearts to Christ and they are growing. They just don't have a lot of knowledge yet. This person has the Holy Spirit within their life. This person knows Christ and has committed their life to him. They have recognized the need to for, be forgiven for their sins. But they're new. They're young. They're not really sure about how to walk yet. But they're new believers. The third group of people that every healthy church has to have, or the rest will not matter, there has to be mature believers in a healthy church. There have to be mature believers, and it cannot simply be the staff. If it is simply the staff, you will never see a church lead curious people to new believers, to then mature believers. Much of the work of a person growing in their faith has nothing to do with Sunday mornings. It has everything to do with Monday through Saturday. And many of the times that a person is going to grow in their faith, it is because they have watched someone else who has grown in their faith. We have learned by observing. You know, the idea of apprenticeship is something that we have talked about here for a long time because there is really no more effective way of teaching somebody than to actually help them through the process of learning it. 
Every healthy church has to have mature believers. A group of people that demonstrate what it looks like to know Christ, to sacrifice, to invest in others. Unhealthy churches are usually concerned with the status quo. But healthy churches are interested in the health of the people that are involved. And that is where we as a church need to be. So what does the Bible say? We had four basic questions for each of our sermons. The second basic question, the first is what is the issue? We just talked about. The second basic question for each of the elephant room sermons has been, what does the Bible say about it? It doesn't really matter what I say about it. It really matters what God says about it, right? All I'm supposed to do, my role here in front of you every week is not for me to pontificate on the things that I think are important, but instead it's for me to communicate to you what God says is important. And while I do it in some weird ways at times, what's really important is what does God say? So what does the Bible say about being a healthy church? Ephesians 4 is one of the passages that talks about being healthy. It talks about the role of those who are either new believers or mature believers, but it does not talk about those who are curious. I want you to know from this point forward, what we're going to be talking about are for new believers and mature believers. But especially if you consider yourself a mature believer, if you don't consider yourself a mature believer and you've been attending church for a long time, there is a problem. There is a problem. We often want to be able to just slide by on the least amount of given possible. But we've had access to the gospel. We've had access to a faith community. We've had access to the opportunity to know Christ and to grow deeper in Christ in a nation that gives us the freedom for the most part to do that. And we go years without growing in our faith. There's a problem. So what does it look like? To be healthy in the eyes of Scripture. It says in verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. That we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up in the full and complete standard of Christ. There will no longer be immature, excuse me, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind and new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I can tell you that being a healthy Christian does not mean that you are a perfect person. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. Being a mature believer does not mean that you have all your junk together. In order to do that, one of two things needs to happen. Either number one, you need to be Jesus, or number two, you need to be dead. I'm neither one of those today. I could be later today. I don't know. But right now, I'm not either one of those. Being a mature believer does not mean you have all your junk together. It does mean that you know how to deal with your junk, though. 
and you don't deal with it alone. So as we read through Ephesians 4, it's one of the passages, one of five basic passages on the spiritual gifts, talking about that when you become a follower of Jesus, see, here is what's different between a person who just goes to church and a person who knows Jesus. When they come to church, the focus is not on themselves. The focus is on their Savior. That is the difference between a disciple and a churchgoer. Now, I've been both. And there are sometimes that I'm a disciple, and there are sometimes I approach it like a churchgoer. Well, I didn't really like that song today. Or I didn't really, that didn't, I often will leave thinking, I, the sermon didn't really touch me today. I think that often. So if you think that, join the club. Sometimes I approach it like a churchgoer. And when I come, I'm thinking about what do I get out of this? But yet as a believer, what we see whenever the scripture talks about mature believers, what you always see is that mature believers are investing, not withdrawing. Let that sink in. True believers are investing, not withdrawing. The difference is, is I feel like I have something to give and I see somewhere I can give it versus I see someone else has something to give and I see how I can get it. Two very different ways of seeing the world. And what you will find is that a person that knows Christ and is committed to growing in their faith will almost invariably, no matter which part of life you look at, fall in one of those two camps. I have something to give. I see somewhere I can give it. Versus we all know that person who sees somebody else who has something to give and they see that they can get it. See, the follower of Jesus recognizes that Jesus gave us everything so that we could give to others. So that we could see where there are needs and that we could fit them or fill them. As we read through, some of these phrases may stand out to you as struggles that you have. And I'll let you know that there is not a steady climb to maturity. It often looks like a crazy rabbit trail. But yet it all leads to the same place. This equipping, this need to invest in others, this need to build up the church. It says in verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity That we will be mature in the Lord, all of us, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Look at the description of immature believers. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, which means whenever somebody else says something opposite, and then you wholeheartedly accept it, you'll be able to stand firm and be consistent. I remember I used to love to go to conferences for young pastors, and we would go and there would be these keynote speakers what was crazy is is there would be about eight to ten major conferences a year and the same people spoke at all of them and after a few years i began to discern the pattern how you get people to keep coming back and you can't tell everybody everything in one time i mean if you tell everything in one time then they'll not come back so i would go one year and we would talk about the need for worship to be modern and we need to be changing with culture and we need to mimic what people are seeing in the world. And we would be all excited about how worship needs to be modern and we need to be looking at the world for cues on how do we do worship in the church. And then the next year we would come and the worship really needs to stay focused on its roots. 
and not just accept what is modern. No joke. I went to two conferences, the same conference two years in a row. Those were the keynote messages for both of them. And so we would come, and I was guilty of this, just like many of you. When you hear something new, I would go, and I'd be like, yes, that sounds so good. That just, yes, yeah, sounds right. Let's do that. And we'd go somewhere else, and someone else would be equally as motivating, and I would think, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I, th- I like both of them, and yes, we should do this, but no, we should not, and I don't, I don't know what we should do. And so we would just be frustrated. One of the marks of a mature believer is that you, don't, you aren't swayed based on the motivation of the speaker. You are swayed by the solidity of the content. You know what is true. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will be confident of what God has taught us. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Do you ever feel that way? I feel like often I talk with somebody and I never know, are they trying to snow me? And you can snow me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a sob story. You can snow me, but eventually I catch on. <laughs> and I realize you're just you're trying to play me here. As you become mature believers, that happens less and less. Not because you become more cynical, but because you become more tied in to what the Holy Spirit is telling you in those encounters. See, whether you're a young new believer or whether you're a mature believer, the reality is the Holy Spirit is the same in each of you. And so he speaks to us. He gives us discernment. We begin to hear him. Because ultimately what it means to be a healthy church is to follow the one whose church it belongs to. My kids, when they were young, they don't anymore. But my kids used to tell people that I own the church. They didn't understand uh, really what it meant to lead the church or to be a pastor or that, you know, whose church this was. They just knew I spent a lot of time here and I, I talked a lot. So they thought this was my church. I've pastored churches where it wasn't my church then either, but there were some that thought it was their church. And they let us know that this was their church and there were a certain way things were going to be done. In reality, all of these doesn't matter. This is not our church. It's not the church of those who tie. This is not the church of those who lead. This is not the church that belongs to the people who are on staff. The church belongs to Jesus. And many of the strategies we employ to build a church today are the same strategies that we try to employ in our own personal growth. And that is the latest gimmick that gets us there quick. At the end of the day, it's still all about Jesus. If you're struggling to grow and you're struggling to mature, I want you to know you're not alone. You and I live in a world that is full of heartache and hardship. The more we try to make the world look sane the more we lose our own minds that's not the way the world works but instead when we have our eyes fixed on jesus when we begin to see the path forward no matter what the world is doing around us it says that the church should grow should be full of love and the church should be healthy All right, I've got to skip some stuff because I'm taking too long. All right, 
Jeremy, I'm going to skip down a couple of slides. Disciples know that the church belongs to Jesus and not to them. I already said that. Whenever we believe that, what that tells us is, is that when I come to worship, whenever I, Deidre and I were looking for a church in Fort Worth, and we were looking for a worship style that we liked, really, while I never thought about this till later in life, what I really was looking for is what gives me what I want in worship. What gives me what I want? And the reality is that many of us approach worship that way. And there's nothing wrong with attending a church because you resonate more with the worship style. But worship is intended to be something that we give, not something that we receive. Mature believers recognize that worship is an opportunity that we get to see God and give to Him because it is His glory that deserves it. As much as sometimes I believe my glory should be worshipped as well. It belongs to Him and not to me. Worship is for Him and it's not for me. And it's my role to fit in where He wants me. It's not His role to fit in where I want Him. That's what it means to be healthy. Disciples know that the church belongs to Jesus and not to them. Which means that disciples are content to invest in others. I read this quote this week from Billy Graham. It says, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. This is one of the failings of the American church, I believe. It's one of my personal failings that I've tried to correct over the years. One of the failings of the American modern church is that we are so hyper-focused on the gospel, but we ignore discipleship. And it looks something like this. I want you to know, no matter where you are in life, Jesus is there to give you a better life. I want you to know, if you'll just confess of your sins and repent and believe that Jesus raised from the dead, that you'll be saved and your problems will be over. And one day, you and I, those who are the true believers, will get to go to heaven and be with him forever. Amen. See you next week. And that's what it looks like. The gospel is free. There's no paying for it. There's no earning it. There's no being good enough for it. However, discipleship is the process of dying to ourselves, picking up our cross and following him. And it costs us everything. I would love for us to not have to go through that process. But Jesus says that is what it looks like to become like Christ, which is our goal as a healthy church. Disciples are content to invest in others. It's the process of dying to ourselves process of giving into the lives of others. There are lots of ways that we invest in others. One way is that we invest through service. And instead of expecting other people to invest in us, we choose to give to others. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Through service. Jesus did not see that his role was to come and be served. Now, if you want to read through the rest of Scripture, you find that Jesus was not just born on the day, that he came into this world. But Jesus has been around from the beginning. The Trinity has been with God from the beginning. 
We read in the New Testament that when God spoke the world into creation, it was actually Jesus who went and actually created all of creation. Jesus has been around. And when he came into this place, he humbled himself. Which is one of the key, if not the key, characteristic of a follower of Jesus. I would like to say I'm the most humble person I know. I often do say that. But we all struggle with it. We all struggle with humility. But it is the key, core, a key characteristic of a person who is following Jesus to say not about me, but is about someone else. So we give through service. We come expecting to give to others. One of the things that I notice are those that get this the best are the ones that get the least amount of credit for it. Those who are the most focused on serving others are the ones who want the least amount of attention for doing it. And so many of you in this room, you're constantly serving. You're constantly encouraging. You're looking for ways to help. You're asking, what is, what is something I can do? Is there a way, place you need me to fill in? I see it whenever people walk through and they pick up little pieces of trash, and I think, man, why do they do that? That's not, people don't do that anymore. People don't just pick up trash. People that whenever you're struggling and you've got something happening and you say, hey, I'm under the gun, can you help? Yeah, I'm there. And the thing about those who love to serve are those are the people we love to be around. Because not only are they generous with their time, they're generous with everything else. They're generous with encouragement. They're generous with praise. They're generous with friendship. They're generous and not judging. They're generous in pointing out what should be celebrated. Those who invest, man, they're beautiful people. And they're the kinds of people that we love to be around. Not only are we investing in others through service, we are investing through giving. I'm not going to read it, but Malachi 3 is one of the proof texts for tithing, so I can guilt you into tithing. Which, by the way, if I guilt you into tithing, then that negates the whole purpose of giving. Giving is never meant to be a thing that we were supposed to mark off a list. It was always an outpouring of our thankfulness for what God has done for us. That's why giving is often combined with worship. Because it is in our worship for God that we recognize what he has given us, allows us to give to others. Same thing I know about big servers, I know about big givers. They never want to be mentioned. Big givers want to give without notice. They want to give in private because they know it's not about the giving. This is just an outpouring of what Christ has done in their hearts. Not only do they invest in service and invest in giving, disciples, the healthy church, Invest through teaching and mentoring. People who have come alongside and said, I will help you through this. Now, often in in the church today, because the church has become more focused inward than it is on other people, that often is left to the staff of the church anymore. And as you know here, if you're leaving it to the staff, you're in bad shape. Because we have some staff that, you know, you're not really sure you want to be seen in public with. But all our staff are employed full-time. So what we have is an opportunity for the church to be more than just the staff, which is what the American church often becomes. And we can be the church and invest in each other. They give, they mentor, they teach. Hebrews 5, this is one of the most damning pieces of Scripture 
for American Christians today. It says, about this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The purpose of growing mature is to help other people become mature. That is the purpose of growing mature within the context of a faith community. What's beautiful is when we see people who are so excited about their walk with Christ that they can't wait to invest in others so they can experience it too. See, at the end of the day, if all these things that we're talking about are simply about building up our Sunday attendance or building up the number of people that call Journey their church home, then we will miss this reality that to be a mature believer is to consistently walk with christ through everything in life not only are we promised heaven but we're promised jesus right now and so when we lead others to be mature what we are literally doing are leading others to be able to walk in the footsteps of jesus and to know him that is what it looks like to grow not to add on activities Not to just do more and more stuff, but instead to know Jesus and to walk in his footsteps. Not only are disciples interested in investing in others, this is so crucial. And so many of you have grasped this, and my hope is it all will. That disciples are as concerned with those outside as they are as with those inside the church. Do you know what our evangelism strategy at Journey is? Could you articulate it? Maybe not. But let me just make it real easy. Our evangelism strategy at Journey is you. It's you. I say we could do a big show and we could do a big event and we do some of those in order to build relationships with people outside of the church. But the most effective way to reach someone for Christ is for someone who's passionate about Christ in their own life. See, other people, when they come, there's so much cynicism in the world today. The pastor is the guy who is paid to say these things. But when they see a person who just is excited about Jesus, I'm telling you, you change people around you. Our strategy for evangelism is you. Our hope is that this is a place where you can grow in your faith and you can mature as a believer, but that we are constantly building relationships with those who are curious. And for many of your lives, what I've witnessed is not just that you build relationships with people that are curious, but your lives themselves make people curious. They look at you and they go, man, I want that. They watch how you handle stress at work and they're like, man, why... Why can't I handle stress like that? I called Kim this week to say, hey, how are you and Charlie doing now that your daughter has put you in such a terrible place? And I didn't say that, but, oh, we're doing fine now. I'm like, man, I don't know how I would handle that. These actions like that that make people curious. So I hear you might get laid off. Well, you know, it'll work out. God will have something. What? makes people 
curious. What are you doing this weekend? Man, I can't wait to get together with my church family and worship together. What? Now, that might not make them curious until they, something else makes them more curious. But your lies will literally make people curious because Jesus is infectious. Disciples are concerned with those outside as they are with those inside. Ultimately, disciples are eager to be involved with the lives of each other. They're eager to be involved with the lives of each other. Now, we do that with small groups here, but I want you to know if the only time we spend together is through small groups, we're missing this beautiful component of life with other believers. Those spontaneous moments of saying, hey, let's get together. What can I help you with? What's going on with your, you need help with your kids? You need help with whatever? You know, we can be there to help. It's beautiful when you have those kinds of relationships when you're invested in each other. They want to be involved. They don't want to just do their own thing. And yet, I, as well as many of you, struggle daily with trying to fit in more stuff in my life. Does anybody else do that? Sometimes we need to remove some things so that we can be involved. And then finally, this is what I want to leave you with. There's so many things we could talk about. We could do a whole series. We have done series on this before. I can't give you everything in just a few minutes, but... I want you to know that at the end of the day, if you don't take anything else away from today, the heart of the church has to beat with the heart of Jesus. It has to. We're not healthy if we're not beating with the heart of Jesus. If we're doing our own thing, if we're building our own culture, if we're trying to make our own kingdom here, we are outside the heart of Jesus. The heart of the church must beat with the heart of Jesus, which means... We bring all these other things together. The heart of Jesus is to serve rather than to be served. A church who is serving is a church who is reaching people. The heart of Jesus is to offer worship than to receive worship. Now, it's very difficult to differentiate what you give and what you receive in true worship. There is something that happens when you offer true worship to Christ that you receive something yourselves. There's nothing wrong with being excited about what happens by growing closer to Christ, which is what worship does. But if our goal is to come and did it give me a big enough pick-me-up this week to get through the week, then we may be missing the point of worship. The heart of Jesus is to offer worship rather than to receive worship. The heart of Jesus is to reach out to those outside the church rather be consumed inside the church. Oftentimes we've struggled with that in the past, that we are just consumed with what's going on in our walls. But Jesus is consumed with what's going out on out in the world. The heart of Jesus is to grow. And the heart of Jesus is to order our priorities for the kingdom, not to try to get the kingdom to order its priorities for us. The end of the day, we'll never be a perfect church. It's impossible to be a perfect church, just as it's impossible to be a perfect believer. One of two things has to happen for that day to come. The first one is you're Jesus, and the second one is what? You're dead, and then you're with him in heaven. We're never going to be a perfect church. 
We're never going to be a place that doesn't make mistakes. We're never going to have perfect worship and have perfect service. We're never going to have perfect investment. We're never going to have perfect teaching. We're never going to be a perfect place that does everything exactly the way Jesus wants it to be. Because guess what? Even the disciples that spent time with him weren't able to do that. We are people who are flawed and broken. Yet we can tune our hearts to his. So the heart of a healthy church is not one that meets all the standards of American capitalism. The heart of the healthy church is the church who is in step with the heart of Jesus. My prayer for you today, my prayer for all these elephant in the room topics. This is kind of a unique series. We've not done one like this. We probably won't do one like this in, a, in a, quite a while. But the, the point of this is to shake up our thinking and to shake up the way that we're living so that we reassess what does it mean to follow Jesus in this world right now. Whether we're talking about how we deal with depression or whether we're talking about how we deal with those in same-sex attraction, whether we're talking about abortion or whether we're talking about Islam, if we're talking about politics or any of these other things, there is one thread through them all, and that is that we are in tune with the heart of Jesus through these things. A heart of compassion, a heart of grace, heart of love and a heart that is in step with his let that be what we seek in our church would you pray for me pray with me father god i thank you that we can be an imperfect people and yet worship a perfect god father i thank you that even in our own faults and failures and even in all those things that we try our best to be good people and yet we fail over and over, that you have given us salvation through your Son. Father, I pray that you would help us wherever we are, whatever stage we're in in this room this morning, whether we're just curious and we're not sure, or whether we're new believers, or whether we are growing and we are growing deeper day by day in our knowledge and relationship with you. I pray that we would be able to see who you are truly, that we would not try to remake you in the image that we want, that we would not try to, to be just a people that uses you for their own benefit, but we have our hearts in tune with yours. I thank you for your love and for your grace. I thank you that despite our sin, you've given your son for us. And I pray that you would help us to grow and move forward in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.